Hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of the Generosity Freak Show. I'm your host for today's podcast, Brady Josephson. And today we are talking with Gail Perry. So she's an international consultant, keynote speaker, trainer, leader. She has a book called The Fired Up Fundraising. She has a great site and blog with resources at gailperry.com. And today we're going to talk about major gifts fundraising, something that she has a lot of expertise in. So these are like the big dollar gifts. So in this episode, we talk about uh, is this strategy still valid and useful? Does it get lost in the noise of kind of the new and the shiny? We talk about how to communicate things like overhead. How do you answer that question in a donor meeting? Uh, What's the best way to do that? Uh, She talks about the golden age of major gift fundraising. So I ask her a little bit more about what is that? What do you mean by that? And why are we there? And then we we talk a lot about kind of transactional versus relational as that applies both to kind of major gift, personal fundraising, but also to digital and other forms of fundraising as well. So hopefully you enjoy that conversation. Uh, We we end on talking about kind of generosity and how we can grow it. She has a lovely Southern accent throughout. So I know you'll enjoy uh, how she talks, but also what she talks about. So thank you for listening and I hope you enjoy the episode. Welcome to the freak show, here we go. It's just another freak show, here we go. I said, Welcome to the freak show, here we go. It's just another freak show, here we go. Welcome to the freak show, here we go. It's just another freak show, here we go. Welcome to the freak show, here we go. It's just another freak show, here we go. Hi, Gail. Thank you for coming on the show. How you doing? I'm doing good, thanks. We said uh, we're wearing our hoodies here on a Friday, just chatting major gifts. This will be great. Oh, yeah. You know, it's a Friday afternoon. It's time to relax. <laughs> there you go. So uh, before we talk about kind of major gifts and and kind of what you've learned over the years and what you're seeing, uh, I saw you started your fundraising career at Duke. Yeah. And then you went and worked for the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. How did you pull that off? Well, you see, I have two degrees from Carolina. And so when there was a job open at Duke, I, um, I just had a baby. I wasn't really working. And I had a really good friend who was head of corporate fundraising at Duke. And he was a Carolina graduate. <laughs> and so somehow I got sucked into a job at Duke. And it was great because fundraising was like a machine at Duke University like 25 years ago. And then I got recruited to come to Carolina and be one of the top fundraisers at the university. Now, only with two years of experience, so it was <laughs> it was really very exciting and cool to um, to be able to raise money for my alma mater. And I actually have an MBA, undergrad, and an MBA from Carolina. And I was the head fundraiser for the business school. Well, there you go. So I got to got to um, you know know the I knew the faculty, I knew the program. It was just terrific. Well, I was going to ask who you cheer for, but I think yeah. I think I know who you'd root for in this scenario. It was just really hard when Carolina was playing Duke and I was a Duke employee. <laughs> I bet. <laughs> <laughs> so um, how did you get into to fundraising? Was it uh, like that opportunity that just kind of came up because who you know, or is it something that you wanted to do? Well, I didn't really know much about fundraising, but I knew I'd had a successful track record in sales. Mm. And I had been very involved with some nonprofits. My first job out of business school was with a nonprofit. So I was sort of like this nonprofit missionary kind of person anyway. And so when my friend said, Gail, there's a great job at Duke that you'd be perfect for. And I thought fundraising, wow, there's sales, it's mission-based. And I had this little voice in my head that said, that sounds like fun. <laughs> and that was the beginning of my professional career. <laughs> and so what a 
what a career it, it's been. Yeah. I know uh, we could talk about all kinds of things, but I want to focus in on kind of major gifts in yeah. particular. And so, you know, on, on this show and our work, we're digital focused and we talk a lot about like innovation. And I know in the space, a lot of people are, you know, buzzing around like crowdfunding and peer to peer. And do you think kind of like good old fashioned major gift fundraising kind of gets lost in all this noise and new shiny? You know, I think there's a lot of chasing the shiny new bubble. bubble. And I'm mm. absolutely for having a very sharp digital program. But uh, without a doubt, the big money, the fast and easy big money is in major gift fundraising. Mm-hmm. Because uh, I, I was talking with a with um, a friend and she said, oh, my God, we had this big event. We raised $100,000 that killed me and my staff. And I could have raised $100,000 in a few donor meetings. So major gifts is is sort of like the graduate level of fundraising. People want to start with the small gifts and then they move up. Um, I started in fundraising right off in the major gift area. And so I just dove right in. But it's so important because that that's where the that's where the transformational gifts really come from. Your digital space nurtures uh, donors and finds new donors and develops them. And then we can develop them uh, one by one into special people. And uh, can you define kind of major gift fundraising? Because I know people define major gifts differently within the organizations. But when you talk about major gifts, what are you talking about? Well, it it means that it's a a special ask of an individual one-on-one for a sizable amount of money. And each organization defines the level of major gifts for their based on their own donor pool and their own fundraising program. Some people may have um, $5,000 as a major gift. Others would have $100,000, you know, big universities. Uh, so it just depends on your own fundraising strategy. Yeah, yeah, great. So uh, one of the things that I, I saw is you, you you talk about the golden age of major gift fundraising. Like, what do you mean by that? Like, are we in it? And like, why <laughs> yeah. or how? Well, um, I actually wrote, you know, I have a Friday newsletter at gailperry.com. And I, um, my, my newsletter today was, the, are you ready for the golden age of major gift fundraising? And my point is that... Um, fundraising, all fundraising lags the economy. So we are a lagging indicator, not ahead of the curve with the stock market and -hmm. the economy. And so as long as the economy is going really strong and donors are feeling confident, it's really important that the donors have a sense of stability or at least of, of abundance with their finances, then we see more and more major gifts. And we're also seeing a lot of new wealth being generated, and especially in the U.S. and around the world, I think. Um, the stock market, we have highly appreciated stock that people can give, make gifts to, and receive tax advantages. So um, we are in such an economically prosperous time right now that everybody needs to think in terms of the major, the golden age. They need to focus on their major gift strategies. They need to get trained and they need to get out there and go have coffee with their favorite donors. What are some of the things that you've seen in your work that are kind of preventing people from pursuing a major gift strategy or like oh, what yeah. holds people back? Oh, yeah. <laughs> people people are so afraid of talking one-on-one to a donor. Hmm. It's like it's like why are you so terrified? <laughs> but board <laughs> members in particular They say, oh, these people are rich. And we try not to use the rich word. We try to use capacity. You know, Mm -hmm. I don't know any rich people and they're so important. And people hold themselves small. People get intimidated. 
people think that ah, people think that major gift fundraising is all about asking and all mm-hmm. about money. And it's not about the ask at all. It's, uh, the smaller gifts tend to be transactional more, you know, digital and direct mail. But see, major gift fundraising is more fun, I think, because there's this get to know you phase. And what are you interested in, Mr. Miss Stoner phase? And come take a tour and tell us what you think of our operation. And um, what what do you give? What is your vision of your own philanthropy? So we we spend far more time engaging with the donor and listening to them than we do uh, uh, actually asking. Mm -hmm. So people hold themselves back by thinking, oh my gosh, I could never ask somebody for $100,000. When in fact, if you do the cultivation beautifully, sometimes the donors and some of my clients, donors just offer. They just (laughs) offer the money without having to ask. And I don't know about you, but I think that's my favorite way to raise $100,000, right? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> so well, yeah, my there, point of view is just, is so much fun. It's so social. It's so full of so many activities besides asking, and it's so creative. And you meet the most interesting people. And so why is everybody afraid of it? Yeah. Well, the, there are two things there. One, like on the, the fear factor, it's always interesting. It's like, you know, you can't like convince someone to part with $100,000 that they don't want to give you, you know? Yeah. It's not like you can twist their arm and we're like yeah. shaming these people into making the, it's like, they want to do this. You're helping them. Like, that's what I don't understand. And it's for the cause and it's for your job. So, you know, people who have that fear, it's like, you might be in the, <laughs> the wrong space or the yeah. wrong job. Yeah. There's another th- hurdle that holds people back. And, and that I think is a very real issue of time. Mm. Because uh, a lot of mid 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 sized to smaller organizations, particularly the person doing major gift fundraising, has many other responsibilities. And you sort of find that you find that things get calendared in, and you have to do them. You have to do the grant proposal. You have to do the board meeting. You have to do the event committee and the event. These things have to happen. And um, major gifts meeting with those donors, you can put it off. Mm-hmm. So I think creating enough carving out enough time is absolutely fundamental if you're going to be successful. Yeah. I, I want to go back to the the one of the things that you really love is like getting to know people and listening. Oh, yeah. It's not about asking. And oh, yeah. one of the things that I think is actually what digital should be about or the real opportunity in digital is to replicate more of that experience with more people at scale. Like in the past, we couldn't. It was kind of like, we'll either meet with you for coffee or we'll like, send you mail and there was not much in between. And like the things that we can do now, like personalized emails and like give you content of things that you're interested in. Like we can create more of that major gift experience. And we always say, if you can just bottle what your major gifts people do and do it via like email with another thousand people, like that's what really good online fundraising should be about. And so there's, I think that misconception even gets passed into digital and it's not the way it should be. It's the way that it, you know, had to be, but it doesn't really have to be that way anymore. Are you seeing that change or people kind of trying to adopt more of those approaches or what have you seen change? I think the shift in digital toward uh, more gentle and more engagement oriented communications is just barely beginning. Yeah. And y'all are at the cutting edge of that. So, and that's why I'm so I admire your work. And I watch watch your emails carefully because I'm, <laughs> I'm studying them so I can knock them off. Right. Because <laughs> but, um, you know, I also do digital communications to my big list that I have. Yeah. Uh, but what in terms of there's some interesting things that are changing in major gift fundraising today, and we are under. I think as the profession matures, we have more research 
on what donors want and what they expect from an interaction with a person-to-person visit. And what we're finding, I was reading an article in the Chronicle of Philanthropy years ago, and they interviewed philanthropists about what they disliked most about fundraisers, (laughs) fundraising (laughs) people. And the philanthropist said the thing they disliked the most was that the, um, the fundraisers never asked the philanthropist about their own personal vision for their phil- philanthropy. Mm. And I can't think of anything more interesting to talk to somebody about. Yeah. You know, like you're, you're, and so we're, we're developing much more sensitive skills about interviewing our donors and understanding why that's so important. I worked with the CEO of a big hospice um, a few years ago, coaching him. And he, uh, he thought he was like this big MBA, big, tough, big time guy. And he thought when he had lunch with a little old lady who owned half the town, he thought that he was supposed to do all the talking. Hmm. And he was shocked when I said, no, <laughs> what were your follow-ups from the meeting? Oh, I don't know. I talked the whole time. <laughs> so you know, so we're, we're coming along, but I, I think that many people think they're supposed to present to donors right. and they're not supposed to present the donor center fund major gift fundraising approach is so step-by-step delicate. And it's all about interviewing the donor and making them feel good. In fact, so, I, I had a, um, I had a meeting just last week, uh, a young woman fundraiser from the food bank of North Carolina. She, I was the donor and she took me to coffee. So it's fascinating <laughs> to see how she approached me. And, you know, she was casual. She was smiling. She was happy. She was comfortable. So excited to talk to you. And she said, you know, Gail, you've been a donor off and on through the years. And I'd love to know why you're supporting the food bank. So she, like, starts out with these questions that are that are textbook questions. Yeah. That felt so natural. And they felt fun for me to talk about. And then she said this question that was, she was asking me about what I supported. And I was telling her this and this. And um, and she said, do you remember a gift that you made that brought you a lot of joy? Hmm. And that was, that. I, I would say this young woman's at the top of her game <laughs> to be able to do stuff like that. So yeah. very impressive. That's the that's where major gift fundraising is heading. Uh, very, um, I call it, call it the soft skills of major gift fundraising, etiquette, courtesy, graciousness, um, be charming. I'm thinking, I think I'm thinking about sending a newsletter out sometime soon that says, be genteel, damn it. (laughs) Yeah, I like that. (laughs) Hey, everybody, Brady here. We'll get back to the episode in a second. But first, did you know that recurring or monthly donors are worth up to 5.4 times more than those who only make one-time donations? That's one of the key insights and reasons behind a big study that we did in partnership with salesforce.org, which you can download for free at recurringgiving.com. We gave three different donations to 115 nonprofits and tracked and captured the entire process and all the communications for three months, analyzed it all, and tried to summarize it in this big old report full of insights, ideas, and experiments that you can run to optimize your program. That's all at recurringgiving.com. And while you're there, you can actually benchmark your organization and your program compared to the 150 nonprofits that we had in our study. Again, all of this is at recurringgiving.com, and it is for free. So if you're interested, please check it out. That is recurringgiving.com. Back to the show. Um, you know, one of the, the the mantras that we always talk about is 
to, to be interesting, you need to be interested in people, oh, right? yeah. And, and it's just – I don't know why we think we have to – and whether it's present to major donors, but same thing on the – you know, more of our world where we just like shout at people or like talk to, at people as opposed to talk – and it's the same kind of things. Again, we see the same things. It's like – it's not like major donors are totally radically different human beings. They yeah. just maybe have more capacity or something like – but humans fundamentally are humans, you know, and I don't – I don't know why we don't do more of that. Like their, my neighbor, I was helping a group with their their year end appeal letter just yesterday, and one of the sentences in the letter said, "Now is the time to make your gift." And I said, <laughs> "Sounds like you're giving a speech." Yeah, exactly. A rallying cry. More friendly. <laughs> yeah. Well, and again, it's one of the things. The nice thing that we that we can do. It's a little bit harder to do, and maybe that's a, a next question here. But like, we can run tests, and so we've tested like tone and voice, and kind of the more personal tone that is almost wins more, like almost always wins, right? So yeah. may, maybe that's something like, you know, uh, fundraising is often like half art, half science. And maybe, you know, the lower you get or the more at scale, you can do more science. But like, how do you how do you test or like, can you test at the major gift level? Or like, is it more art and intuition at that level? And Well, no, but there's some, there are definitely scientific parts of major gifts because we, we go through this process called qualification. Mm-hmm. And the reason we are work so hard to qualify donors is like, are they qualified for me to invest more time with them or not? Mm-hmm. So we're always trying to figure out, are they true believers? Do they have capacity? How strong is their interest? Because one of the big jobs of a major gift fundraiser, you usually have too many prospects in your portfolio. Right. And you've got to figure out where to focus. So it's very systematic and you've got to have um, systems like i I insist on a monthly strategy meeting, a monthly strategy meeting with your little team to mm-hmm. review your prospect list and, and, and see what's changed and see what new information has come in and create some new strategies. And when I was a frontline fundraiser, I had my top 10 and next 20 list, mm-hmm. which I revised monthly. And some months my top 10 list might be 11 and some months they were eight. Because there were people I was preparing, we were preparing to solicit or have just solicited. We were in heavy contact with them. So you're a real working prospect list is a tool and it's a format and it's data-based. Even though you're putting your best intuition down about a prospect, you're still right. in some sort of rational format. And also, seen- we can, we can, I can take a prospect list and I can rough out how much their gift might be within a certain time period. Mm-hmm. And add it up, and I'll take, I'll cut it by two thirds, and then I'll think this is the amount I probably can raise. Hmm. So we talk about a pipeline. How, what is the value of our our portfolio, and um, what should be our expected amount of money we could raise? So there's a lot of science about it, or measuring and metrics, so that, yeah. we, so that we're not just shooting from the hips because sometimes people think major gift fundraising is fuzzy. Right. Yeah. One of uh, one of my good friends here in town, he's a major gifts fundraiser for a large uh, uh, hospital foundation. Yeah. And he's super analytical. Like he's created like a predictive model basically on yeah. on gifts. And I think he's more in the minority, to be honest, than, than the majority. I, but I think, again, we have all this information and even qualifying people in the past, how we used to qualify people. We were making, you know, pretty big assumptions on kind of what they cared about and who they are and what their wealth was and – Never assume. Yeah, exactly. Yes. And so have you seen some of these changes and not just like the modeling, but like even the qualifying side of things? Because uh, has that has that changed in terms of how you go about qualifying? Yeah. Um, well, 
I think fundraising is getting a lot more professional. And uh, we, I think the black hole for any major gift fundraiser is to get too chummy with your, mm. with your donors. I mean, you get to know them, but you don't ever want to be embarrassed to talk about fundraising. Right. Now you're, you're a professional and your job is to facilitate the relationship between the donor and your organization. Sometimes we get sucked into all the lunches and going out on their yacht <laughs> and we don't want to screw up this lifestyle that we're enjoying. Yeah. When I started to do the, um, the big scary vice president I would see in the hall and every time he saw me, he would say, are you going to make your goal this year? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, I knew what my job was. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah. you know, one of the, one of the things that I've, I've seen and be interested if you've uh, seen this or seen success with it, but kind of engagement, especially for like more plan giving or end of year or end of life or bequest giving is kind of how long someone's been engaged is, is actually a bigger indicator than like how much money they have. They could be a yeah. millionaire who doesn't care about you. <laughs> so we've got, you know, more ways to evaluate engagement or connection and even things like this person spent three hours on your website this month as a major gifts fundraiser, if they're in your portfolio, you can maybe go, maybe I should call this person now instead of, you know, next month because we're top of mind. Like we have all this stuff that we can do and use to apply to major gifts. Like are you seeing more programs and shops kind of try to leverage this or are we still at the start of this kind of uh, application still? I think we're we're just at the start. Yeah. I think that um, there's so many new people coming into fundraising and particularly major gift fundraising, and they're mm. all seeking out training mm. and there's most of the training is really good. Some of it is not. <laughs> and, uh, and also I would say that the people managing major gift fundraisers mm. and hold them back yeah, yeah, or yeah. support them because it's like your major gift team is like your sales staff. And if you think about a big company, I started out in a great an international company in sales years ago, and uh, you you're treated like gold, and you're encouraged, and you're motivated, and you're given incentives. And I think that if more nonprofits treated their frontline fundraising team like that, they'd get more out of them. Yeah, yeah. One one more question uh, that kind of relates to major gifts, and then I want to talk a little bit more about kind of just generosity in general, but. Um, I'd be interested. So like overhead is a question that gets asked all the time and it's this big debate. But And I know one of the things that I've always said is nonprofits are very culpable in the situation that we've created by not addressing it or answering it. Yeah. So how – like if you're in this donor meeting and you're going in there for an ask and you know, asking for $100,000 and the donor is like, well, your overhead is high or what's your overhead? How How can you like answer their question without perpetuating kind of what I, in my opinion is a bad – mindset. Well, I don't think you should ever be defensive about your overhead, Mm. you know, because I I tell boards that if they they don't want to carry out their mission on the backs of their employees. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So I I can make a very sound defense of overhead because the thing is, is that the donor wants all, if the donor wants all their money to go directly to program, who's going to pay for the insurance? Mm -hmm. And and how are we going to run the programs? How are we going to manage the people? And how are we going to report back to you, Mr. Donor, on your gift? And so you want us to have good accounting systems <laughs> and good management systems. And so this is this is the way you run a business. This is the way you yeah. run a profit. I mean, I'm not the slight. I would love. I need to record a little video about how to talk about overhead. <laughs> yeah, that would be great because I, I think be a lot of people just shy away from it. And it's like, no, that was the chance to kind of yeah, in, a, in, in a one-on-one. Exactly. Like explain because – 
people get it when you actually sit down with them and explain. They're like, oh, that actually makes sense. It's just yeah. like, you know, you read articles and sit behind a desk and like, oh, that sounds bad. And it's like, no, 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 no that's I'll not what it is. Else. A lot of nonprofit CPAs might take the, um, the insurance and throw it into general administrative when it really should be distributed across the cost of all the program areas. Right. Yeah. So I think that they're games people play. Or, totally. or erroneous decisions about how to classify costs that really hurt nonprofits because they're yeah. not being savvy about that tax form. Tax yeah. form is important. Yeah. The, I, the very first organization I worked for was a startup and I was the first full-time employee. Yeah. And we, we could just totally legally, but how we shifted staff salary across the three buckets, which all you need to do is just defend it. Yeah. We could move our ratios like 5 to 10 percent just by reallocating staff salary. So it's not even a valuable metric, but that's a totally different conversation. I was just interested. Talk about that sometime. <laughs> I was just interested how you and in that major gift scenario, you know, handle that, which you talked about. And you should definitely record that video. <laughs> yes, tall and proud. There you go. Um so just kind of in generosity. So this is the generosity freak show. I'd, I'd love to know a little bit more like how do you personally define generosity? And then how do you think we like as an industry or people in space, how can we improve it or grow it? Yeah. You know, that's such a big question because the 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 give, the percentage of people or the amount of gifts that happen in the U.S. economy always stays at a certain percentage of the GDP, the gross national product. And it never grows. So as the gross national product grows, giving grows, and it shrinks, it shrinks. And it just blows up my mind that, at least in America, in the U.S., um, giving, in a way, is stag- it's a stagnant part, part. So growing generosity is, I think, a challenge. I do think that some people are simply not philanthropic. Hmm. Uh, but I also think that Americans, that that's what we're talking about, Americans, mm-hmm. And, you know, I do work around the world, so I try to be really specific. I think all people are generous in their own way. Mm-hmm. And generosity comes from a sense of abundance and a sense from of help, wanting to help others. Mm-hmm. So I see people, even if they don't make financial gifts, they are volunteering. They're serving on the local PTA or they're leader of their Boy, Boy Scouts troop. Or, you know, people, they serve in their religious or spiritual, their synagogue or church. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that people are more active in the volunteer world than you might think or in the nonprofit mm-hmm. world. And who knows, maybe the nonprofits think, oh, we can't solicit our volunteers. We have to protect them. They're already <laughs> giving time. Um so I, I do think, um, and all the studies show that Americans are very generous people, mm-hmm. and they do. Many people do help others in lots of ways. I have a, a friend who is a, a a huge fundraising expert, and she hands out money on the street to people she runs into on the street. And she said mm-hmm. she'd rather do that, yeah, for her personal generosity. Yeah, I think it's such an interesting question just because yeah. oftentimes how we define it is like how much people give. And you're right. That's just – it's just one element of it. Yeah. And there's so much undocumented giving. You give to a homeless person on the street. Mm-hmm. You give to your friend's crowdfunding thing because they're you know needing yeah. medical bills. That That's not registered charity. That won't show up on Giving USA. That won't move the 2 percent GDP. But that is so – generous and charitable at the same time. And we can, I think those of us in the space, we can sometimes devalue that because it's not, you know, in our direct sphere. Um, But we we do that at our own, at our own risk. I think that people, nonprofit people complain a lot. They say, (laughs) oh my gosh, there's so much competition. 
or oh, we're you know people are giving all their money over there, or you know it drives me bananas. And I come from a place of abundance, mm. or I hope that one takeaway from people listening to this podcast is that you have to have a sense of um, possibility, mm-hmm. and of optimism, mm-hmm. and the, the pie keeps growing. That is the way to change the world. You've got to maintain your your positive energy and not not have the naysayers and the back talk in the back of your brain cutting you down. No, that's, no. that's awesome. Thank you yeah. for, for that. Yeah. Well, um, we've taken up a lot of your time. I'm sure we could keep talking about all this different stuff, but yeah. I, I appreciate you taking the time. Um, wh- where can people learn more about you and uh, all the stuff that you're up to? Yeah, well, my, my consulting team and I do capital campaigns and major gift coaching, which opens up. Um, we, I just opened the application period for major gift coaching uh, just last week. So you can talk to us about that, see if that's a fit. You can find us at gailperry.com with two R's, G-A-I-L-P-E-R-R-Y.com. And I have a, I have a Friday newsletter that goes out around the world and a lot of people enjoy that. So we have lots of free fundraising resources as well. I'd love to awesome. come. Well, thank you for, again, taking the time, but also sharing some of those resources because uh, it's great and people need them. So appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you for all you do. Hope you enjoyed that conversation with Gail and Major Gifts Fundraising. I love that how we kind of ended the conversation there focused on that mindset of abundance. Uh, I think that's always something great for us to think about because it is a scarce world and it is a scarce sector at times. But to have that mindset of optimism and abundance is is a great reminder and something that we need to have if we really want to be growing generosity. Um, you can find out more about Gail Perry and her work, as she mentioned, at gailperry.com. She's got some free resources there as well. And if you have uh, any questions for Gail or others, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, you can send those questions to me and us at podcast at nextafter.com. Uh, and then we can uh, actually answer some of these questions on future podcasts. So thank you again for listening and hope to see you next week. Hey, this is Brady, and I just want to say thank you for listening to the Generosity Freak Show. If you want to get all future episodes, please be sure to subscribe at generosityfreakshow.com, or you can just search the Generosity Freak Show on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts. We'd love to hear from you, so if you have comments, questions, feedback, you can email us at podcast at next after. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, the Generosity Freak Show is produced by Next After, where I work. It- Next After is an online fundraising research lab that works with nonprofits to help them grow their online fundraising. And our mission is to unleash the most generous generation in the history of the world. You can learn more about us and what we're up to and see our latest research at nextafter.com. Lastly, this show would not be possible without my co-host, Tim Kachuriak, and our amazing mixologist and producer, Nathan Hill. So many, many thanks to them. So thank you again for listening, and we will see you next week 